podcast this week, we see in the 2022 with the star of the 355, Lupita Nyong'o. And we hear from not one, but two Hawkeye directors, Bert and Bertie. Plus the usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has a good feeling about this year. I think this is going to be it, guys. This is going to be the one. Oh, wait. Oh, I've just had some news. Yes. 2022 has just been pushed back to 2023. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, I've just heard from Dylan O'Brien. Apparently, we are not ready for 2022. And we need to evolve <laughs> as a species. And only then will we be able to revel in his majesty. Any year in Fulvia Morbius has to be pushed back because we're not ready, clearly, for Morbius. Anyway, uh, hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the first Empire podcast in A, a couple of weeks, but also B, of 2022. Yes, indeed. It is a new year, a new dawn, but the same old shit on the Empire podcast. And speaking of which... (laughs) Wow. Speaking of which, I'm delighted to be joined by my two colleagues of such lethal cunning on this week's episode. Helen O'Hara is away. I don't think we can say where she is, but I am joined nevertheless by our great big fucking nerd, James Dyer. He is here. Hello, James. Hello, Christopher. How are you? I am good. I am very good. I'm over my COVID and oh, that's good. Had, a, had a fairly relaxing break. I only edited a podcast on Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you telling me that. You were texting me at Christmas, Happy Christmas, I'm editing a podcast. <laughs> like, Fucking yeah. hell. <laughs> yeah. I edited a podcast on Christmas Eve. I edited a podcast on Christmas morning. I wow. think I did one on Boxing Day. I'm not sure. I, but I definitely took I took the 27th and the 28th off like a good boy. Uh, I was very, very good. And then I, I, I think I edited a podcast pretty much every day after that as well. But anyway, wow. you know, this wow. is the job. This is a life we chose, a life we lead there's but one guarantee <laughs> none of us will see heaven uh, except for one person one of us might see heaven Amon Warman that's not a threat in your life by the way that's not a threat in your life I think it's very important I have to state that <laughs> I'm just saying that you are so pure and virtuous that you might whenever you die and I hope it's not soon see heaven Thank you, Chris. I think that's the <laughs> nicest thing you've said to me on this pod, after fashion. I have a fashion <laughs> query for you, Amon. Amon, the best best man in movie criticism. Fashion, uh, you are wearing a sweater, a sweater, but it is a sweater with, shall we call it, an unconventional collar. It is neither crew neck nor v-neck, but something in between, and it's freaking me the fuck out. Uh, what, what is this? Does it have a name? Did you create this yourself? What, how, what is happening? Well, we'll have a screenshot. Riverside takes oh. screenshots of these things. So we'll, we'll be able to share this. I'll take a grab. I'll take a grab. I'll take a grab of Amon's weird neckline. The folks at home can play along and they can see what, a, what, what Amon looks like. What is it? I, I, uh, <laughs> it's, not, it's not a traditional V-neck, is it? Um, no, I don't really know what this one is. Um, I have to make wow. up a name who, for who, it. Who are you wearing? <laughs> He's not Ed Gein. <laughs> my default, and I don't know if this is this is true in this case, but my my default anytime I get asked uh, anytime I get asked this question, that I don't know. It's just to say Zara. Zara right, is my okay. favorite okay. favorite shop, closely followed by River Island. Enough of the the fashion detour, folks, because we're back. We are back now. We are back. We've had a Christmas break. As, as I said, I had two days off. They were glorious two days. Uh, <laughs> spent mainly shivering and recovering from COVID, but it's all good. And uh, so how, how was it? How was your break? What did you do? Yeah, no, it was good. I ate a lot of food uh, and promptly fell into a food coma. Uh, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, <laughs> and then I uh, binged a lot of TV. 
And I have to say, and I said this to James privately, but he was, you are 100% right about Arcane. <laughs> Arcane is incredible. Isn't like, it? Oh. It's just like, I was stunned by how good it was. It's one of the best things I've watched in the last 12 months. Mm. So yeah, I can't wait for season two. And I think between that and Castlevania, also on Netflix, also good. It's making a very good argument that the best way to adapt video games is in an animated series. Um, mm. because both of those are, you know, I put them one and two in terms of the best video game adaptations I've seen. Uh, they're that good. It's a smart decision though with Arcane, isn't it? Like instead of trying to like sum up the game, which doesn't really, it's not a narrative game at all. Uh, League of Legends isn't. They just said let's take two characters who we know are sisters and we know hate each other and explore the reasons why that might be the case, and let's do it in a way that is so visually stunning. But this is the thing with me. It's like with with, with the Arcane, the thing that normally keeps me out. I mean, you've tried to get me into Invincible as long as I've known More you. Than once. I know, and I can't do it because, as I've said many times, it looks like a Saturday morning cartoon, and I cannot get past that, no matter how well written it is. Whereas this. Not only is it brilliantly written, not only is the voice acting absolutely astonishing, Hayley Steinfeld, of course, in the lead, yes. uh, but the, the visuals, I've genuinely never seen an animation that looks as visually impressive as Arcane does, like, at all. Yes. It uses a similar sort of visual style a little bit to Mitchell's versus the Machines, you know, where it's kind of it blurs yep. that line between hand-drawn and, and CGI, but it's just every aspect of it you're looking at it and you're like this is stunning and it's not just that the graphics quote unquote look good it's that the, I, I mean the storyboarding for this is immaculate there is a gunfight on a bridge which flashes yes. back from the present <laughs> to a hand-drawn different animated style of the same characters in the past fighting as children and i was like jaw on the floor this may be the greatest <laughs> thing i've ever seen in my life yeah, like it's yeah, nuts that sequence is phenomenal yeah um so yeah that definitely the best thing that i've watched uh in the last few weeks but i binged all the cobra kai really enjoyed that uh i finally binged uh dope sick uh binging dope sick all at once may not be <laughs> that's not good for your mental way. health <laughs> yeah because it, it made me very angry uh, but i think that's yeah. partially the point but it's very very well done chris didn't uh, you do all- that as well you binged dope sick didn't mm-hmm. you i did i did i very much did because uh, I'd yeah. seen the first three episodes because we recorded a special Dope Sick show uh, that is still available for people to listen to. and uh, But I hadn't seen any of the other episodes and I was waiting for them to be to be, um, to be be released on Disney Plus uh, so I could binge them all. I don't usually binge, but I thought I'd binge this one. And then in, in the thick of my COVID fever, I was just sitting because I was self-isolated from my wife. So she was she was sleeping in the living room and I was in the bedroom with the other TV. So I was just like, oh, I don't feel great. Let me watch this really depressing TV show. <laughs> and I just watched every single episode, except for the last one, which hadn't shown up. It is now available. Uh, I thought it was terrific. Really, really terrific. Yeah. It's about it's about how Purdue Pharma came up with OxyContin and their methods in pushing it and the crisis, the opioid crisis that has sparked in a, in America and the people who are fighting it and people who are dealing with it in, in different levels. Uh, great performances throughout. Yeah, it's absolutely terrific. Uh, I didn't, uh, in fact, this is, I'll lead us very nicely into the listener questions section of the show because we do have questions uh, kind of pertaining to our Christmassy break, to our break over the Christmas period. And there's a couple I'm going to throw at you guys. One of them basically is what do we watch over Christmas? Uh, but <laughs> what was it exactly? Yeah. There were two questions. Um, one from David Mitchell Baker uh, at DavDav1228, who said, most unchristmassy movies you watched over Christmas. And then we have another one from Stephen Lally 
on Twitter, best films the team caught over the Christmas break that were new to them, maybe, or just, you know, or just films that you watched over Christmas. And weirdly enough, I watched very few films over Christmas. Um, Christmas was a chance for me to kind of recharge, recover, and I don't tend to watch a lot. I I go into every Christmas break with the best best laid plans of uh, of watching loads and loads of movies, catching up all the stuff that I maybe missed during the year or catching up with some classics. And then the darts happen and, and, <laughs> and I end up not watching a lot of movies. So I watched a lot of darts uh, because there's darts on. Oh my God, you have no idea. You have no idea. I watched it so many darts. It baffles me the appeal of watching <laughs> what is essentially a pub activity as it people is, hurl those little things at a board. It is the, it is the greatest sport. No sport is requires. It? Is it? I mean, the demands it places, the physical demands. I mean, they are athletes beyond comparison. Uh, the physical demands, the mental demands, the the arithmetical demands, the mathematical demands. It's it's all there. It's all there. It is absolutely drama in a cup. Uh, so I watched a lot of darts, watched a lot of football, obviously when it wasn't being postponed or cancelled because of the COVID. Uh, and we watched a lot of TV, my wife and I. Uh, you know what, Chris? Do- you know what? You would benefit. There's a podcast. Is I can it the pilot TV podcast, James? So you've heard of it. You've heard of it. Oh, you've heard of it. It's really good. It really helped you with this stuff. So my wife caught COVID over Christmas as well. So we were we were isolating, and then uh, and then Fala caught COVID just before Christmas. So we were like, ah, screw it, we're gonna you know just be together now over Christmas. Um, Christmas dinner was torpedo. Christmas Day was largely kiboshed, and we had Christmas dinner much much later than the twenty fifth of December. But you know it is what it is. You make the best of it, right? Uh, we're so much luckier than so many other people who were struggling with COVID over Christmas. Mm. And you know, well, we just sat there and we watched Girls Five Ever. Eight episodes, really funny. It's on Peacock. So if you have Sky or if you have Now TV, it's now on in Peacock. So I'd recommend that. Um, uh, I watched all of What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show, which I thought was absolutely terrific. But, and I thought it was absolutely amazing. And in fact, we're watching it again. This time we'll follow watching oh, wow. the episodes. <laughs> have, you been, have you been watching uh, New Zealand Paranormal? Or Wellington Paranormal, sorry. No, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get on to that. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I also caught up with Mayor of Easttown, um, mm. which is really, really good. Worthy of, I think we gave it number two in the- Yes, yes it just got 20. pipped to the post by, uh, by um, It's a Sim. Yes, which is a show that I still need to catch up on, but which I will. Um, so, so yeah, I'd like a choice. I either binge all the TV shows or finally become obsessed with Deathloop. Uh, <laughs> and I, I opted for the binge TV, uh, but Deathloop, it's coming. It's coming, James. Don't worry. Once I get obsessed, you will know. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, it's going to be good. It's going to well, be good. I, I ran through everything that I watched over Christmas on the Pilot TV podcast at some length, <laughs> so I won't, I won't cover all of this stuff. I will say, and I say this without any exaggeration, I watched 41 episodes of The Expanse over the Christmas break. Wow. 41. Um, How many episodes? Like nearly an hour. <laughs> Wow! <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, because obviously the, the the final season is, is is screening on Prime Video at the moment, and I've already seen it. And I interviewed the cast for our pilot TV review of the year special. Interviewed uh, Wes Chatham and uh, Nadine Nicole and Dominic Tipper and Stephen Strait. And obviously, this made me think. Oh, you know, it's been ages since I've watched. I watched the first episode again, so I went back. Oh, I just watched the first episode, and then then you know, before you knew it, forty one episodes. <laughs> 
41. And I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the, it's gripped me now. I can't stop. I'm now watching it all the way through to the end of the final episode of the final season. And I'll probably get there just about the time that it airs. But uh, I'm doing a full on rewatch that so everything else has fallen by the wayside. So, so just to clarify, and I'm as guilty of this as you guys, none of us on this film podcast watched any films <laughs> I over Christmas. Watch a single film. I like Not one. We we try and have like a family film as we're eating uh, dinner, and this year that was Jingle Jangle uh, because one of my nieces has become absolutely obsessed with it. It's very cute. Um, so we had that on in the background, but we didn't even finish it. Like that was the only <laughs> film <laughs> that we that I really sort of laid my eyes on this Christmas film. It was more about the TV for me. I also yeah. did a Daredevil season three rewatch. Uh, which okay, is, yeah, it's still a good show. Three is decent. It's two that that's lacking, isn't it? Like one's great. Two, it's when you don't have Kingpin, it's not as good. The first four episodes of two are fantastic. It's after that that it falls mm. off a little bit, a little bit, a lot, um, which is a shame. Um, but yeah, season three is great. It's really weird watching Marvel Netflix and Marvel MCU back to back because <laughs> in Daredevil season three, especially in the final episode, one punch from Matt Murdock, blood everywhere. <laughs> massive damage and then you watch Marvel MCU and Kingpin is at the epicenter of a massive explosion and he's walking away with a dusty suit and maybe a few scratches on his face it's just like huh I know that they've said that the Kingpin of the Marvel Netflix and the Kingpin of Marvel MCU are the same sort of character but honestly I would I wouldn't mind if Feige sort of corrected that and just said you know this is a variant that has similar characteristics but it's a different character because on a tonal level, it's very, very different. And then also thinking about what happened in Daredevil Season 3, um, even though there is a deal of sorts that Kingpin won't reveal Matt's identity, Kingpin very much knows that Matthew Murdock is Daredevil. And I don't know uh, how m- much they're going to do with that in terms of like what, what, how much time has passed from the, t- from the end of Daredevil Season 3 to Marvel MCU. But I... I find it hard to believe that Kingpin hasn't done anything with that over the last however many years. Um, and Matt Murdock is just doing his thing while Kingpin knows who he is and they're meant to be nemesis. So yeah, I, I would, I would like it if they are different characters, but we shall see, I guess, going forward, given that they're now a variation or maybe the same characters in the Marvel cinematic universe. So that's far too much TV. Uh, that's far too <laughs> much TV, chat, and I'm as guilty of it as anybody. So, but let's let's talk about some other stuff because I have been, I have been, have I watched any movies? I watched Muppet Christmas Carol. I watched something else. I can't even remember. Didn't what, you go what back it was. to see Spider Man or Matrix or something? You, no, sure you I, went didn't, to the I, I didn't go back because um, we only got the all clear around the end of December. Oh, okay. um, we did go see Licorice Pizza. I've seen films. I've seen films since, but uh, I haven't gone back to see Spider-Man No Way Home or Matrix yet, but uh, but I will. I will. That, that'll be happening. Here's another question, and this might be movie-related, because the words movie-related are actually in the question, so that's good. And <laughs> uh, this comes from Stu Lawn Tweets. Uh, what did you all get for Christmas that was movie-related? Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing, really. <laughs> wow. Because, yeah. Boy, uh, we invited the right people onto this week's show. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about fashion, video games, and fucking Kingpin. You haven't seen any films. What's going on? I rescind what I said about you earlier. You are not going to enter heaven. <laughs> you, you will be there turned away. <laughs> Normal service has to do. I thought, I, thought, I thought we were turning up a new page, that intro, new year, new page, New Year's new resolution compliments. ripped up. 
ripped up. Be nicer to a mon. <laughs> Boom. Scrolled. No. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> the the Warman family did Secret Santa uh, this year. So I only got the one present. But it was a really good present. It was uh, some nice shoes. It was more fashion for you. Fashion. Jimbo, what did you get? I don't think I got anything film related. This is going really badly. <laughs> Genuinely, I don't think I got anything film related. I got any movie related presents. I got a Dungeons and Dragons thing was sent to me from from Dungeons and Dragons and it came in a big D&D box and it like came with and it's genuinely something I've never encountered before like we've all have you know dressing gowns we know what dressing gowns are like we know what blankets are and even know what a slanket is which is not one of those blankets with sleeves so that you can actually manipulate things while wearing the blanket I got sent like a blanket hoodie bloody I don't know whatever you want to call it so it's <laughs> It is genuinely, so it's like, think of a blanket, like a giant sort of like one of the like sort of comfort blankets you put over a sofa. Right. But they have sewn it into the shape of a hoodie. So it's a blanket you wear and it has a hood and it has arms and it has the little stomach pocket things. So it's a big D&D hoodie. And uh, it was called uh, Hoodie of Cold Resistance Plus Four, which is an excellent Dungeons and Dragons joke. <laughs> uh, and uh, and I got that and some, they sent some slippers and some hot chocolate. And, uh, and I, yeah, I was quite excited. It was nice. Let me let me ask you both this before we move on and talk about the things I got, which were which were kind of movie related. So, do either of you play D anD D? Do you uh, do you ever actually ever play Dungeons and Dragons? No, but I wouldn't very much like to. <laughs> so it turns out Dan Jolin of this parish, yeah, has got a regular fucking game. How do you not know this? Has never invited us. <laughs> have you met Dan? There has never been a human being alive who is more likely to have a regular Dungeons and Dragons game. <laughs> but he's never invited us. No, he hasn't. I think he thinks quite rightly that we would be dreadful twats to him if we did it. <laughs> <laughs> like that we'd be awful and we would not fully embrace the uh, you know, the, the spirit of the game. Because bear in mind, I, I used to. to be in the same guild as Dan in World of Warcraft, and he used to take that terribly seriously. Uh, whereas, and I used to dick about quite a lot. No, so. I, I want to take it seriously. I want to take it seriously. I, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I'm a new man. Uh, I'm getting older. I need to embrace sedentary <laughs> hobbies uh, where I. I can remain seated. That's very, very important to me. And uh, yeah, so Dan, if you're listening to this, or if you know someone who knows Dan, I mean, we could text him, but where's the yes, fun in that? Could. Yeah. Harangue Dan on social media until he invites us to his D&D. And I yeah. will wear my hoodie of cold resistance plus four. <laughs> I really hope Dan Jolin meets Henry Cavill and they become the best of friends. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Um, no, I hope he does. I hope he does as well. Well done. Well done, Dan. Uh, anyway, movie-related stuff. One of them's behind you. I can see it. Can you see it? You can see it. Yes. You can. You can. It's too late. Oh. I've seen everything. <laughs> I've just realised I put Galactus on the side because he doesn't fit into my bookshelf because he's so massive. And so he's just, he he's may, just he lying may there not hunger. dead. He's, I slumber is probably more what he's <laughs> saying at the moment. Uh, uh, but yes, I got the Lego Infinity Gauntlet, which yeah. I was very, yes, very excited about. That was cool. So my wife uh, got me the Lego Infinity Gauntlet, and and then we spent you know a couple goals, the couple that Legos together, Lestays together, and uh, <laughs> so we spent a couple of nights whilst the arrows was on in the background, um, playing um, 
plane, uh, not plane, constructing. The result was the Lego Infinity Gauntlet, which now stands proudly behind me here on the bookshelf. Uh, and that's a ton of fun. I'd love to get more into Lego, but it's insanely expensive. It so is, yeah. You got you got to pick and choose your battles with that one. What else did I get? I got a jigsaw puzzle because I'm old. I got the Paul McCartney lyrics book, which I'm very very excited about. I've decided to do uh, once I break it open, I'm going to read a lyric a day and a story about a lyric a day, and then listen to that song. And that's going to be one of my little things going forward in new, in the new year. Uh, what else did I get? I got a Yoda, a Baby Yoda T-shirt. So that's okay, kind fine. of film related. That's kind of film related ish. I'm yeah. Stevie, but sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, nothing else. Nothing else. So we have to talk about films. Otherwise, <laughs> I've heard are of going them. To fucking... I'm familiar with them. <laughs> <All right. concept. laughs> Here's one from at Das Ginge, Das underscore Ginge. As we seem to be having another wave of films playing Dodge the COVID spike, which films did the pod hope are not delayed? And are there, and are there any delays announced which they don't mind? Um, you, um, well, and he said, Dune! <laughs> I was like, and this is my reflex reaction to everything. Yeah, I can't have Dune too rela- uh, delayed. Um, I'm, I'm, as Dylan O'Brien alluded to on Twitter when he tweeted that he has heard that Morbius being delayed is because we as a society are not ready for a film as good as Morbius, and it is so good that we have to evolve as a species before we're allowed to see it. I think it's probably true. But I, uh, yeah, I'm in no way bothered that Morbius has been pushed back by however long it's been pushed back. When, when is it now? April. When has it gone, it's gone back to it's April. April. It's gone back to April. this year. I yeah. believe we'll survive. <laughs> well, of course, you could ask yourself, has it been pushed back so they can quickly capitalize on the success of Spider-Man No Way Home by crowbarring something from that film into this movie? And God, so is there, have they set, <laughs> set time aside to do some reshoots? Who knows? We shall see. Um, uh, there could also be a slight fear because the box office picture over the, the Christmas period was really strange and felt really lopsided. So you may or may not know by this point that uh, Spider-Man No Way Home has done astonishing business. Mm. Business that would be astonishing even outside <laughs> the pandemic. But in the, in the because we're still in the pandemic, Omicron is, is gripping us all. Yeah, that's what got me, fucking Omicron. And you know, it's made $1.4 billion at the box office worldwide. And it's it's doing incredibly, incredibly well. And everything else kind of isn't. So The Matrix Resurrections came out over the Christmas period. The Kingsman came out over the Christmas period. And neither of them did particularly well, even with the sort of pandemic, even through the pandemic prism where you kind of readjust things a little bit and you you make a, make allowances for the fact that there's a pandemic. Because Spider-Man No Way Home has shown that people are clearly prepared to turn up in droves for the right thing, mm. but avoid other things. So I wonder if Morbius and maybe something like John Wick, which has moved back into 2023, although I think that might mm. be more of a production issue rather than anything else, that I wonder I if these, these are things that are looking at the at the box office for the Kingsman. They're looking for the box office at the for the Matrix Resurrections and going, well, we're a bit worried about that, so we're going to move until there's a little bit more consumer confidence back. But I just think with the pandemic, with different variants, you got to maybe just embrace it and go with it and see what happens. What do you think, Helen? Yes. <laughs> no. Maybe. Helen, <laughs> Helen has arrived. Helen has mm. arrived. Welcome, Helen. So we're talking about box office. And we're talking about things moving back and Das underscore Ginge. We're still in the listener question section if you're wondering how this podcast is going. Oh, okay. And the uh, Das underscore Ginge has said, you know, which films that have moved back are we 
unhappy about, what do we not want to see move back? And we're talking about how Morbius and other films about ilk might be looking at the poor box office returns um, suffered by The Matrix Resurrections and The Kingsman over the Christmas period and might be a little jumpy right now. Uh, mm. What are you? What's, what's your take on that? What do you think? Yeah, that, that does seem extremely plausible. For once, you, you've come up with a plausible answer. Yes. Uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's probably the fuck it. Does and that I think coming in here and busting my ass already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, look, people are leaving the house right now, but maybe being a little bit pickier about how often they go out and how what they want to go see and what they want to make time for and what they want to, you know, single out. Because I think they're trying to manage risk maybe a little bit more than they were a few months back. Um, so, you know, for Spider-Man, the whole world was like, yep, definitely going to do that. For, for Morbius, not so much. <laughs> for Morbi- I mean, maybe not so much, you know, of course, every day is Christmas Eve and let's hope that Morbius is a big shiny present under the tree. But um, but yeah, may- maybe not so much. So maybe people are just being cautious. You know, I do think this kind of this wave is kind of burning itself out faster. So you know, it may be a very, very short delay, but I think I, I, I get, I guess, why people are doing it. Yeah, I think for Spider Man, it just had so many factors uh, going into it in the build up to it. The fact that uh, it's following on directly from Far From Home, which had that amazing cliffhanger. Uh, people want to see what happens next. Then you have all the speculation that went into it months and months and months of who's going to be in this film, what's going to happen, uh, more so than a typical Marvel film would normally have. So you have those people who want to be, you know, see it immediately to be part of the conversation, to not be spoiled. And then once the film is released, there is that sort of, you know, reaction that's so positive. There are spoilers about the people, you know, get an inkling that, okay, something big has happened. I need to go and see that. I need to be part of the conversation. All that stuff just follows on from one mm-hmm. another. And and then other films like The King's Man and The Matrix Resurrections don't have that same type of fervor. The King's Man especially has been delayed and delayed and delayed. And when you're just seeing it now in The Matrix Resurrections, I was... is terrible. <laughs> I would not go... So, you know, there's also that. I would not go that far. <laughs> I'm so excited to do the spoiler special for that because there's, there's <laughs> opinions everywhere. But, like, you know, there was a time when The Matrix was, you know, appointment, you know, must-see. Uh, movies and you know, yes, nineteen ninety nine, and now uh, it's not that time, unfortunately. Um, so so yeah, I just think all all the factors going into Spider Man really helped catapult it to a new level that just made people want mm. to immediately see it more than other films currently on the docket. We of course, speaking of people picking and choosing what they want to go to, uh, we are still full steam ahead as things stand for our five hundredth episode which is going to be a live show, but not just a live show, a live shows, an epic all-day event at King's Place, London, on February 5th, which is a Saturday, Saturday, February 5th. Uh, we usually do our landmark shows, our anniversary shows at King's Place in London, but we've decided to take over the place for the entire day this time uh, around. And so in the morning, we're doing the very first Empire Podcast Quiz, which is going to be a lot of fun as soon as I start writing it and then we have of course in the in the afternoon session we have uh three of beloved empire podcast favorites crashing together the very best of the empire podcast we have a three fact structure live we have a ranking live and we have a spoiler special live and as soon as details of those are are nailed down we will tell you 
<laughs> and then in the evening, we have the 500th podcast, which is going to be an epic three, three and a half hour regular episode of the podcast. So not too dissimilar to what we're doing right now, but it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you can buy tickets for individual sessions or you can buy tickets for all three sessions, at which point you get a discount as well. Tickets are on sale right now at kingsplace.co.uk. And uh, do please come along. It's going to be a lot of fun. Helen, real quick, because... Amon and James and I shat the bed spectacularly. We had two more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were semi-film related. We managed to not mention films at all in discussing them. Uh, what did you watch over Christmas? What films did you watch over oh. Christmas? It turns out we watched none. Wow. So that's good. Okay. Great. Good what, work, fi- guys. what films did you watch over Christmas? <laughs> um, I watched West Side Story again. No big surprises there. And I watched Belfast again. Also, probably no big surprises. But, and I'm going to save this for a future episode, I watched Belfast with my parents who grew up in Belfast <laughs> in the 1960s and 70s. And that was fascinating. And I literally took note of everything they were saying. And um, overall, they were impressed by its accuracy and in, in, in many, many surprising respects. So um, yeah, it, that was, yeah, that was genuinely a really, really fascinating eye-opening experience. I knew about some of the stuff that they mentioned, but like it brought out stuff that they haven't talked about in sort of 40, 50 years. So, hmm. Blimey. Blimey O'Reilly. Uh, okay. And the other question was, what did you get over Christmas? What presents did you get? And were they film related? Well, one was TV related. Uh, my siblings, uh, one of the presents I got from my siblings was a Star Trek Discovery disco running shirt, which I've been after since I think it was season one. There's a bit where the, uh, Michael and what's the name with the red hair? Oh my God. Um, anyway, they go running through the corridors of the Discovery in their running t-shirts, which just say disco on the front, which I thought was really clever. I really want them to see, say very on the back, but sadly they didn't. But yeah, I got a, a, a Discovery uh, running t-shirt. So I'm very excited about that. It's very good. Um, what else did I get? I'm blanking now on all my other presents. Um, yeah, but they were good. It was good. It was a good Christmas. Good Christmas. Good Christmas all around. Everyone's happy. Good, good, good. And we finally mentioned films. Excellent. <laughs> well done, everybody. Well done, everybody. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, and why the hell wouldn't you after this four and a half hour detour <laughs> down Bollocks Avenue, then you can, uh, well, there's only one game in town, really, which is Twitter. So reply to me on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt or slide into my DMs or wait for a panicked shout out every now and again, which is exactly what happened earlier on this afternoon. So thank you for the three people who sent in questions this week and apologies. Okay, shall we delve deep now into movie news of what there is of it? Because even though we last recorded the podcast just before Christmas, not a lot has happened over the Christmas period. So we've, well, we've kind of mentioned some of the stuff that's happened, you know, some of the films moving back and Spider-Man, you know, destroying records at the box office despite the fact there's a pandemic, all that sort of stuff. But uh, here's something interesting. Michael Keaton has clearly got the taste of the bat in his, in his nostrils, the smell of the bat in his nostrils. Did you get the taste of something in your nostrils? Mm-hmm. Can you? Why not? Yeah, sure. So he, um, he has... On the back of reprising the role of Batman in the upcoming The Flash movie, he has now joined the cast of DC's Batgirl. Hmm. Batgirl. So we're going to see his Bruce Wayne once again. This feels like the closest I'm going to get to my Bat Family movie that I've been asking for, <laughs> right? I mean, it feels like a step in the right direction in that you have older grizzled Batman, you know, mentoring younger heroes um, and, a, you know, a slight step away from, you know, grizzly, dour depressing Batman in every other Batman film. So I'm excited about this. Obviously, he's the 
He's the best Batman who in live action. So Thank I'm, you. I'm, I'm super here for him. Well, I'm, <laughs> of course, see, the thing is, I know who you're thinking of. I know who you're thinking of. I'm thinking of Will Arnett. Because Lego Batman, as you know, is the definitive take on the character for me. So, <laughs> so close home, so close. Um. <laughs> he was talking a little bit also over over the break. He was uh, he was doing press. And he was talking about why he opted not to do Batman Forever when Schumacher took over from from Burton doing Batman. He was saying it was all about because for him the films, the first two films were about Bruce Wayne, where Schumacher wasn't interested in Wayne. He wanted to do films about Batman, and that didn't sit right with with mm. Keaton, which I thought was kind of an interesting look at it. He always saw those films as films about Bruce Wayne. Not as films about Batman. I think he's entirely right. Mm, yeah, so do I. To a point, like, there's some good stuff in Batman Forever without wishing to rehash our argument from a few months ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that, um, <laughs> that centers on sort of Bruce Wayne and uh, the the bat that sort of called to him at a young age. Um, so so there's, there's some good stuff there. Yeah, this is exciting. This is exciting stuff. And uh, it's interesting that they're being so upfront with, with this, you know, that you know, Michael Keaton being Batman again is going to be a big selling point for The Flash. I would argue a bigger selling point than The Flash. 100%. Like, the, the reason why yeah. I'm excited for that movie really has nothing to do with The Flash. It's all about yeah. um, Batman for me. Maybe The Flash, and when the poster comes out, The Flash will be in a really small font, and then Batman <laughs> will be in a massive font. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, the fact that he's doing this, so it's going to be directed by Adil El Arbi and Bilal Falah, who are the guys who did Bad Boys for Life. Uh, I spoke to them for Bad Boys for Life. They are tremendous fun. So yeah, this this one could be this one could be good. Yeah. Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. Yeah, I'm very happy for Leslie Grace as well that she's on the come up. And you know, just one more example of why you know making new stars um, when you're casting big films can pay dividends in the long run because I did not have any idea who Leslie Grace was before In the Heights. I'm sure that's the same for many people. But on the back of that and the performance in that, she's now uh, starring in this big blockbuster and I'm very happy for her. And I hope she does a great job. Indeed. Uh, Helen mentioned, of course, her favourite Batman is Will Arnett. And Will Arnett is the subject of our next news story. My God, this is incredible segueing. Oh, segueing. Wow. Oh, this is world-class segueing because Will Arnett has replaced... Remember before Christmas, we were talking about the fact that the death... Uh, hang on, I never get the name of this film right. <laughs> this is going to be interesting if I interview anyone from it. Death on the Nile. Yes? Sure. Death of not, the Nile would be a very different type of movie. Next to beside the uh, Death on the Nile. So Death, Death, Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile. Death on the Nile is coming out very, very soon. And that is, of course, the Kenneth Branagh uh, movie where he plays a giant mustache that solves crimes. And we talked beforehand when the trailer came out just before Christmas about how the fact that that movie has an army hammer problem, which is a Army Hammer's in it, and he has a big role in the movie. And obviously, since he has been accused of various things, and he's persona non grata in Hollywood circles now. And so, Death in the Nile has a bit of a problem in that he is a big part of that film's story. So they couldn't really do the Zack Snyder Army of the Dead thing, where which is recast a problematic actor. Entirely. They couldn't do that um, for various reasons, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, Tignataro just wasn't available. So. <laughs> yes, I'd love Tig If Tignataro, now that Christopher Plummer is no longer yeah. with us, if Tignataro was like the emergency plumber uh, in Hollywood circles and you just picked up the phone, the Tig phone, and called her and she just plugged into 
any film. It doesn't matter what the role is, doesn't matter what the scenario is. Here is Tig Notaro, 24 hours notice. She has her own green screen now. She will do this <laughs> for, for a reduced rate. So they're not going to replace him in Death in the Nile. They have replaced him in Taika Waititi's Next Goal Wins. And they've replaced him with, you'll never guess where I'm going, Will Arnett. I feel like you spoiled it already. <laughs> yes. So they've replaced the man who would have been George Miller's Batman with the man who is the Lego Batman. Whoa. Whoa, dude. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's fine. I mean, you know, it's um, it's a great, great story anyway. I'm super excited to see what Taika Waititi does with it. Um, and, uh, you know, it'll be fun, I think, right? Yeah. I watched mm-hmm. the documentary for uh, yeah, this film a few years ago, and it was really, really fun. Uh, so, yeah, excited to see Taika uh, do this sort of smaller film before he does all his ginormous films because he's got Thor. Love and Thunder, and I think he's doing a Star Wars in the near future as well. So, yeah, cool. So many things. He's a bit like Guillermo del Toro in that he's has so many projects announced, you're not quite sure which one's going to be mm. next. And in fact, he shot Next Goal Wins before Thor Love and Thunder. Mm. Uh, but I guess maybe the focus on that movie to hit the release date and maybe the Army Hammer situation, I don't know, has led to a delayed release date for that. Because I would have expected that to be out now for the Oscar race, but... Clearly, they've decided not to do that. So, Will Arnett's going to, he, it's a fairly small role that apparently has been beefed up now that Will Arnett yeah. and they did some reshoots over the, you know, the last few months. So, Will Arnett, there you go. Cool. He's in. Hammer, out. And in case you don't know, that's about the American Samoa football team who are, who were, there's a documentary, an incredible documentary called Next Goal Wins uh, about this football team. They're so terrible. They, they lost 31 nil, I think, to Australia and they have a coach who comes on, who's played by Michael Fassbender in the movie, and he slowly gets them believing. Um, they're still terrible, but it's a really heartwarming story of relative triumph over it firstly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so this is a this is Taika Waititi's uh, feature adaptation of that mm. documentary. Uh, Josh Hartnett uh, is uh, going to be... <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> toast of London pronunciation. I, I, I don't even know where that Josh came from. Josh Hartnett. <gasps> I don't even know where that came from. <clears throat> Josh Hartnett uh, <laughs> is going to be in Christopher Nolan's uh, new movie, Oppenheimer, which is cool for him because uh, Christopher Nolan uh, asked him to be Batman once upon a time, and Josh, Hart- <laughs> and Josh Hartnett... <laughs> Does every story have to have a Batman connection? <laughs> <laughs> and Josh Hartnett passed uh, at that time, uh, which led to Christian Bell getting the role. Uh, so, yeah, um, that's, that's something he's gone on record as regretting. Uh, no surprises there. Huh, no sure. <laughs> <laughs> So it's cool to uh, see him get another shot to work with Nolan in this film. But we have no idea who he's playing, do we? No, I don't think so. Not at this time. I hope it's Batman. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> That'd be tremendous. Uh, why the hell not? Chris Riddle's just lost a run of himself and he sticks Batman into all his movies now. Played by Tig Notaro as well. Which is really, really weird. Um, yeah, this is exciting. I think uh, Josh Hartnett has had something of a renaissance over the last uh, few years, mainly through just working with Guy Ritchie, which is weird. But uh, he was really good in, in Wrath of Man, and he will soon be seen in Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. He's, he's been good in TV coming stuff soon. as well, don't forget. Yeah, Penny yeah, Dreadful. Penny Dreadful, for yeah. example. Yeah. He's great. He's, he's, he's always been good, and mm. you know he still has the looks. You know, he has those, those have not deserted him, that's for sure. So, yeah, all good. 
there are a couple of other stories that we should uh, discuss. First of all, Jodie Comer uh, has cited scheduling issues and stepped out of the Napoleon drama by Ridley Scott called Kitbag. Terrible title. Anyway, <laughs> she's out. Vanessa Kirby, however, was almost immediately yeah. into the mm. role, which is still completely the wrong age gap unless these are all, you know, flashbacks from an elderly Napoleon remembering his um his his time with Josephine. Both women were and are down to play Josephine, the first wife of Napoleon. Um, Joaquin Phoenix is around about the same age Napoleon was when he died, years after he had divorced Josephine, who was famously older than he was, but we're just going to ignore that, I guess. Uh, like, they're all great actors having, and everything. Joaquin but... Phoenix isn't French. No, and he's not the same height either. It's he acting. Actually, he's not that far <laughs> off in height. Napoleon was five foot seven. French inches were longer than English inches. Bloody five two. Yeah. <laughs> this is a brilliant fact. <laughs> Helen wins this week's three fact structure. So what how long is six inches in France? Okay, so oh, wait, oh. <laughs> I don't want to know why you know that. Anyway, um, okay, so apparently at the time, like let's say an English inch was like two point four centimeters, a French inch was something like two point six five. So when his height was recorded as five two on his death certificate, that was in French inches, which equals about five foot seven in English inches in modern inches, which means he was of average height. He looked smaller because the Imperial Guard was composed of incredibly tall dudes. But well, he was in red, red cloaks, average height. you know, with red helmets. Like. And he had a big yeah. hat. Exactly. Anyway, my point is, it was a very, very, very famous case of a woman who was married, who married a man younger than she was. It is a very famous for that being a factor in their relationship. It is one of the reasons that he was put under pressure to put her aside and marry somebody else. That's why I'm talking about the age gap in this particular instance, right? I know actors can act. I'm aware of that. My point is, you, it actually sure? does play a role here. So that's okay. why I'm bringing it up. Anyway, both actresses are great. Joaquin Phoenix, F Joker aside, can be great. <laughs> Jodie Comer's age. How old is Jodie Comer? Jodie Comer is like, I think, 29 and Vanessa Kirby's maybe 32. And is 32. this in French years or English years? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, the dates used to be different as well. Don't even get me started. Anyway, is that's happening. Can we now talk Nothing about the big real. story of the oh, week? Boy. I know what's well, coming. I just want to just want to draw your attention to one thing, because I, I thought that wasn't a Batman related that story. <laughs> no, but it, it, is. It, it is, of course. Because Wacky Phoenix is in it. Exactly. And of course, he beat up Bruce Wayne's dad in the bathroom. So, all good. There you go. It's Carry all on. fine. Is yeah. there a Batman link in the next story, Helen? Probably. Give me a second. Okay. Right. <laughs> uh, DC Comics, which published Batman, also published under one of their arms anyway, a comic called The Losers. Yes. Which is adapted into a film, which starred Chris yes. Evans. Chris Evans yes. is now going to play Gene Kelly in a new film, which he apparently had the idea for and is now producing as well. Look, I didn't say it wasn't tenuous. That's the best I got. What do you got? Can I do better? Yeah, okay, okay, okay. We, we, we got this. Six we got Degrees this. of we got Batman this. is what we're playing now. Chris, Chris Evans, there's got to be a comic book where Captain America and Batman have teamed up, right? There I mean, probably they, they is. Seem, yeah, there's a comic book where be. they fought. I think they fought to a stalemate. Well, that's... that's there that's you fine. go. That's fine. That's fine. That's good. They fought so to a still. Hang on. That's such hang bullshit. on. Hang on. Super <laughs> serum, super soldier fights rich man <laughs> and can't beat him. You've got to put more respect on <laughs> Batman's name. The guy is trained, you know, with the best so of the best. Is, so is Cap. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, we've all trained with the best of the best, Amon. I'm just saying that 
<laughs> Not many of us could beat I up Captain believe. America. I'm the only one putting respect on Batman's name here. Batman and Captain America. You're one of these people who were like, actually, I think if Batman could have beaten Superman because he was wearing kryptonite armor and I'll fuck off. If Batman has prep time, that changes the entire... Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. You are the worst. You are the absolute I worst. I just cannot have this argument again. I can't do it. Anyway... There was a news story, if you remember, like, if you cast your mind back into the dim and distant history, there was a news story, and it's about Chris Evans, who is no longer playing Captain America on the regular, um, what? is going to be playing Gene Kelly in a new movie, and it's basically, or a version of Gene Kelly anyway, because it's untitled as yet. John Logan's writing the script. Was there a Batman link there? Anyway, um, John <laughs> Logan's writing the script, and it's based on an idea Evans had about a 12-year-old boy who works on the MGM lot in 1952, and who basically creates an imaginary friend who is Gene Kelly. So it's a kind of imaginary version of Gene Kelly while he's working on his next film, or at least an imaginary friendship. The friendship is imagined, presumably. Gene Kelly still exists. Um, so this explains why someone was being mm-hmm. really rude to Chris Evans. There was a tweet I saw going around yesterday, and I was like, that seems like a really strange thing to tweet to Chris Evans. And it was doing, it did serious numbers. Like last time I saw it, it had done 77,000 likes, mm-hmm. where someone had tweeted a video of Gene Kelly, a montage of Gene Kelly. Yeah, and, I saw that. And they had, they had looped in Chris Evans going, you could never do this or you could yeah, never so. be this or something like that. I just thought that's really mean-spirited. It was incredibly mean-spirited, but it was also a super hot montage. So if he takes that as a gauntlet being thrown down, yeah. then okay. I think everybody, everyone's a winner. Gene Kelly could never take down Hydra. <laughs> that we know of. That, that we know of. <laughs> <laughs> like, that we Gene, know Gene of. Kelly, yeah. like, I, yeah. I, it, is, it is worth saying like I will say this Gene Kelly is so insanely handsome that it is a stretch even for Chris Evans Chris Evans is going to have to work it I'm just saying to be as handsome as, I, as Gene no, Kelly no, no, and you know no. I do not this. say that lightly you know not I do not this. say that lightly I'm not having this no 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 <laughs> I'm not having this I'm not having this Gene Kelly yes one of the greatest song and dance men of all time. Yeah. He can do it all. He can yeah. dance around a lamppost. Yeah. He can dance with a cartoon mouse. He can yeah. pull off that stupid little um, sailor's outfit. He can oh do it God. all. But yeah. just, I'm sorry. Objectively speaking, yeah, objectively, Chris Evans like, is a much more attractive no, man. No, than uh, Gene look, Kelly. I, and you, you know my predilections in this respect, but like, I'm sorry. Gene Kelly is right up there with the handsomest men there have ever been. Even, even Cap with Beard. Even no, that's a different thing. We're not talking about Cap with Beard. That's a different thing. We're talking about Chris Evans, who's a whole different character. Cap with Beard is over here. He's safe. He's in. He's in the. He's in the box. Okay. Not that one. Stop. Oh, oh my um, God. <laughs> wow. Wow. But, Hell Hydra. But no. <laughs> but Chris Evans. I'm just saying. Like it, it's a good challenge. I think he'll be good in the role. I think he is <laughs> handsome enough to even be talking about it. But like he's going to have to bring the handsome. And as that montage showed, he's also going to have to bring the the handsome. It's Chris Evans. I'm just, I'm just saying, he's going to have to be like at the top of his handsome game. I'm looking at pictures of Gene Kelly here. I (laughs) can't. There's no comparison. I, I I don't understand what pictures you're looking at. Like, is it just some bloke called Gene Kelly on LinkedIn? Oh, sorry, I've misspelled his name. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit with Chris. Actually, I'm not. I'm not seeing it. I'm not I, I don't it. know what you're looking at. I can I can do a PowerPoint presentation if you need. He's a he's a seven. He's a seven out of ten. What? He's a seven out of ten. <laughs> out of how many? Five. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Are we talking French or English inches here? <laughs> He's a seven out of ten. He is just a normal. Just, if you I, walked past him in the street, no. apart from the fact that he would be swinging around a lamppost, yeah, you wouldn't cast him a second I, glance. This is Chris absolutely Evans, incorrect. I cannot follow you on Chris this Evans is just, smoking hot. Look, okay, smoking I'm, hot. I'm sorry. We have three woman fanciers and one man fancier in the room here, okay? Let me tell you from this position of lived authority. He's an insanely attractive man. And he can dance. And I know Chris Evans, this is an exciting part of this news that Chris Evans is going to presumably get to dance, which he can do, but we haven't really seen on screen. This is this is a very exciting part of the news. And believe me, I'm here for that. But the fact that Gene Kelly can also dance on top of everything else, hubba. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, listen, let's maybe throw this open to the listeners at home. If should there be any left, uh, I think that's a very <laughs> crucial distinction to make. If you are still listening to this podcast, just let us know who you think is hotter. Is it Chris Evans, who is the hottest one, or is it Gene <laughs> Kelly? who, you know, is a very attractive man in a sort of Sean de chardin oh kind of way. Sean <laughs> de Chardin could never. Sean de Chardin could. I say that with respect. Sean de Chardin, he's got French respect. inches backing him up. No, no. Oh my so you, God. you put some respect on Sean de Chardin's Look, name. He can stand toe-to-toe with like a, I don't know, a Clark Gable, no problem. Like, oh, he Clark could probably, Gable's got like those a, massive, a Gary big, clappy ears. I will allow him a Gary Cooper, but like not a Gene Kelly. <laughs> no, like, don't be no ridiculous. No one's going to bat for Gary Cooper here, Hells Bells. Well, no one's going to because he's a very Yippee-ki-yay. Oh, come on. I, I don't want to have to go to my saved pictures. <laughs> uh, younger Gary Cooper, I'll give you that. Young Gary Cooper, come on. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Okay, good. Now that we've browsed through Helen's wank bank, <laughs> should we carry on with the... Uh... <laughs> Oh, dear Lord. Dear Lord. Alrighty. Anyway, so let us know who you think is hotter. Is it Gene Kelly or Chris Evans? Uh, And by Chris Evans, I mean the guy who played Captain America, not the guy who hosted The Big Breakfast. A couple of last things before we move on. Uh, So, if you haven't listened to the interview I spent most of New Year's Eve editing, um, it is our long-awaited interview special with Quentin Tarantino talking about his work writing the novelization of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, we decided to leave it just before Christmas as a bit of a Christmassy treat for you guys. And then I got COVID, and so that knocked everything back a little bit. So decided to put it up as the very last podcast of the year instead. So it is, I'm not sure if I can say it's a cracking interview, um, but he gives cracking answers, I'll say that much. So it's a really fun interview, um, and it's well worth a listen. And he said he, he said something quite incredible in it, which is that he has um, written a book detailing Rick Dalton's movie career in great detail. And you should go and listen to this interview and hear Quentin Tarantino talk about this because it's really, really fun. And this book may never see the light of day, but I suspect it will. And he has written this book, which breaks down every movie that Rick Dalton has would have made. Uh, and the centerpiece of it is an interview that Rick Dalton did in 1999 with Quentin Tarantino. I don't know. It's weird. It's multiverse. Who knows? Anyway, it's, it's very, very fun. And uh, I can't wait to read that if it ever sees the light of day. So that is available right now. Uh, Quentin Tarantino talking about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and his writing process and all sorts of stuff. So that is available for you to listen to right now. 
after this, obviously. And we're going to round off the news section by talking about some very, very sad news. So we lost three people of real note over the Christmas period. We lost Jean-Marc Fallet, who is the director of the Dallas Buyers Club and Big Little Lies on TV. Uh, he passed away at the age of 58. Of course, the iconic Betty White passed away just a couple of weeks shy of her 100th birthday, star of the Golden Girls. Uh, and as we're recording this, we have just learned that Peter Bogdanovich, the great director, Peter Bogdanovich, the director of The Last Picture Show and What's Up Doc, and one of my favourite movies, Noises Off, a uh, tremendous adaptation of the, of the West End farce, has also passed away at the age of 82. So very, very sad news indeed. Yeah, I mean, very sad because, you know, Jean-Marc Vallée, 58, is kind of no age at all these days. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he'd, he'd really only kind of, I think, hit his stride in the last sort of 10, 12 years. I mean, it was the Young Victoria in 2009 after Crazy and then Dallas Buyers Club and Wild and, and things like Sharp Object and Big Little Lies. You know, that seemed to have kind of steadily pushed him up the list of, of great directors and, and a very good director of women as well. So... Um, he'll be very much missed in that respect. And, mm-hmm. you know, Betty White, my God. I mean, I was, you know, kind of did a bit of a deep dive into her career because I've, you know, I've watched a lot of Golden Girls over the years, which I think gets underestimated because it was a show by older women. But she was a, a phenomenon. She's basically been around as long as television was a mass medium. She had four different Betty White shows during mm-hmm. her career. Um, she was a mainstay on the Mary Tyler Moore show. She was then a Golden Girl. She was mm-hmm. hilarious in Boston Legal. Um, as a murderess and armed robber and you name it. Mm-hmm. She was just amazing and she'll be hugely missed. And then, you know, Peter Bogdanovich, you know, was a film legend and not just a film legend for making films, but also for writing about them as well. He kind of came yeah. up as a as a really, really important film analyst. And he had a recurring role in The Sopranos. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes he, he did. Dr. Melfi's psychiatrist. Oh. Yep. Uh, yeah, he was. He was. He 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 could do it all. He could do it all. In fact, uh, one of his last appearances was as a director uh, called Peter in It, mm-hmm. Chapter Two, Chapter Two. So, uh, so yeah, he was. He was fantastic. Obviously, the Last Picture Show. His first movie as a director was Targets. So he came up through the Roger Corman school. Uh, Targets is a really really good film. If you haven't seen it, nineteen sixty eight, uh, Boris Karloff was about a sniper at a at a drive in movie theater. Um, he's in it as well, Bogdanovich. So he dabbled. He did all sorts of things. All, all sorts of things. His best run was in the early seventies. You would say with the uh, Last mm-hmm. Picture Show, which he made a sequel to many years later called Texas Phil. What's up, Doc? Which is a great screwball farce with Ryan O'Neill and Barbara Streisand, and then Paper Moon. And it's probably fair to say that he never quite captured the magic of that early run of movies, but he was still a director of real note whenever he made a movie. You sat up and listened. And as I said, Noises Off, the movie he made in 1992, it's one of my staples. I try and watch it at least once a year. It's a fantastic, fantastic farce. Uh, It is a great cast. Michael Caine and Christopher Reeve and Denham Elliott and John Ritter. (laughs) So many people who aren't with us as well, um, and Mary Lou Henner and Carol Burnett, and just this great, great cast getting into some wonderful writing. It's really, really funny. If you've never seen Noises Off, go see Noises Off, mm. uh, either on film or if you can ever see it as a play. Uh, that's also a great privilege as well. And oh as, as Helen said, he was a great film historian. He was good friends with Orson Welles. He was, you know, he was someone who was really, really um, a, a chronicler and a cataloger of the movie greats, uh, also. So. Very, very sad. All three. Very, very sad indeed. But uh, we've just heard about Peter Bogdanovich and um, may they all rest in peace. All right. Okay. Time now for this week's 
first guest, who is the Oscar-winning star of The 355. Not that she's won an Oscar for The 355. That's unlikely, I would say. But <laughs> you never know. You know, We're not ruling anything out at this stage. But it is, of course, the wonderful Lupita Nyong'o, who, since winning that Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, has popped up in the likes of Black Panther, of course, the Star Wars sequels, and Queen of Catway, and now The 355, Simon Kimberg's The 355, in which she co-stars alongside Jessica Chastain, Penelope Cruz, and Diane Kruger as four kick-ass secret agents who team up to take down a mysterious threat. Uh, Amon here. Hello. Hello. It is him. Mm-hmm. Uh, spoke to the Peter Nyong'o just before Christmas, wasn't it? Yes, I did. Yeah. It was over Zoom, wasn't it? It was over Zoom. I want to interview her one day about the apostrophe in both our names and see if, you know, we share the same frustrations with like <laughs> internet forums and stuff. <laughs> probably, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, how was she? Was she good? She was good. She was good. Yeah. A lot of fun. Uh, we were talking about uh, parties to start off with, uh, because I think uh, around that time, I was a little bit worried. <laughs> I remember I was a little bit worried uh, that I was going to have to uh, say that I couldn't do the interview because I'd been to an after party. Uh, the night before, and I had been—I was on the verge of losing my voice a little bit because I'd been enjoying the partying and the music a little bit too much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I—I recovered just about enough uh, to do the interview, and I'm glad I did. She was a lot of fun. That's good. All right, here we go. Then it is Lapita Nyong'o talking about the three five five and partying. <laughs> Looking forward to hearing this one. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of the 355, Miss Lupita Nyong'o. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Awesome, awesome. I've got to start this interview with a bit of an apology. Um, if my voice sounds weird at any point, I basically attended an after party last night and I got a bit excited and I'm on the verge, I feel like I'm on the verge of losing my voice. So if it sounds weird at any point, you know why, and I apologize. <laughs> well, I hope you're okay. <laughs> I mean, I assume, you know, given, you know, you've been the Hollywood star for the last few years, you've attended your fair share of really amazing after parties. What is the best after party or that party that you've been to? Oh, well, I haven't been to an after party for a long time because the world has changed <laughs> since 2020. Um, the, the last amazing after party I went to was jay-z's um oscar party in in 2019 i guess that's when the last one was yeah and yeah it was i had an absolute blast um yeah there's always interesting people at those parties and everybody just lets their hair loose and it's just a wonderful vibe Mm -hmm. and i danced and danced and danced the night away i definitely remember dancing with folks like Nas and uh uh yeah and Serena and wow. yeah it was amazing <laughs> that is incredible I remember uh, a Black Panther party where you guys all dressed up like characters from coming to America and the pictures from that thing was just it was epic <laughs> oh yeah that was my birthday party when we were <laughs> when we were shooting the film yeah that was that was also a really cool party. I mean, uh, 
yeah, to have the black. I didn't think about how epic it was going to be in <laughs> pictures, like to see, because we did, we weren't yet like, we weren't yet the phenomenon that is Black Panther, you know, but to look back at that time <laughs> and to see uh, us all in those characters. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really, I'm glad we did it. I'm glad we went all out. Me too. Me too. So the 355, we're talking about five highly skilled women teaming up to stop the bad guys. This is not the sort of thing that you see often on screens. Was this an immediate, yes, I'll do it when it was presented to you? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Jessica Chastain reached out to me when she had had the idea. She was working with Simon Kinberg on his film. Um, forget the name, but um, she called what? The X-Men Dark Phoenix? Yes, that yeah. one, Dark Phoenix, mm. that's it. And um, she called me. I was shooting a film in Australia and she said, you know, I've been thinking about the fact that there's no action um espionage thriller style film with women at the helm like the born identities and the the james bond movies and why do you think that is and i was like wow i i hadn't even realized that that was a, a thing or not a thing um and she said you know i would really like to get a group of women from different parts of the world together to create you know this new uh ip this new world and i thought wow that's a great idea you know I mean, at the end of the day, like, why shouldn't there be a film with uh, women at the helm in this genre? So for me, it was kind of like a, it was a no-brainer at the time that, yeah, this seems like a really good idea. Yeah. And what were your conversations like with Simon Kimberg as you were crafting your character? Because I really like how you got the, the tech specialist aspect of it. We've also got that home life as well. And that balance is really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, it was important to me, uh, and I, I, as much as I think it was important to all of us, that uh, our characters were more than just the jobs that they did, you know, that we were nuanced and and that we show like the multifaceted nature of people who do this kind of job, that they're, they're, they have families, they have children, they have lovers and all of that. So it was important because Khadija is this highly skilled uh, tech specialist um, and it re requires her to be quite um, sturdy and what I like to say is wound but not tight <laughs> and so the not tight version of it was to see a glimpse of her her personal life and to get a tenderness from someone whose job does not permit much tenderness you know mm. uh, yeah yeah. And you've got an English accent in this movie, your character is sort of like a, a <laughs> I, I feel duty bound to ask you about this because I know that you also did an English accent in nonstop. So were you more comfortable doing accent work this time around, given your experience on that? You know, honestly, every role that I've done to date, I've had to have an accent except for one movie, okay. which is um, Little Monsters. Other than that, in every movie i've played i've had to play an accent other than my own so it's um it's a muscle that i have to flex a lot um obviously this time around i had more lines than i did in <laughs> non-stop where i was a glorified extra yeah <laughs> so obviously yeah the pressure was on to you know really dig deeper into that accent yeah it's uh Accent work is uh, vulnerable work. 
So be kind, UK. <laughs> understood, understood. I'll, I'll talk to my people. I'll make sure they get the Please. message. Um, <laughs> I also, I want you to take me behind the scenes a little bit because I'm so interested when any actor has to play a tech specialist, what they're actually doing, what they're actually looking at when they're doing all the tech scenes. So what, what, what are you actually looking at? And what is the trick to acting those scenes out? <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> those scenes were the bane of my existence. I mean, wow. It's tough. And mm. it's, I felt very self-conscious, you know, because there's nothing going on. Like you, you're looking at, if you're lucky, you're looking at an X on, on a gadget. Mm. But usually it's just a dark screen. And um, but what I would I would basically make it a game, you know, with each with each scene. Like what is the game? What is the technical game that I'm playing here? And what because you I had to for me, I had to like choreograph specific hand mm. movements and to know what I was doing so that I could sell it you know and um yeah it was in the beginning i was so frustrated by it because i wanted someone to tell me what it was going to look like on the day but they didn't always know so i had to take matters into my own hands and then so i i just made it into a game like i would say you know i'll just choreograph hand movements <laughs> to make it look like i know what i was talking about oh my gosh yeah i guess playing video games <laughs> helps you know <laughs> yeah but awesome yeah. transferable skills video games tech mm -hmm. I, I like that i like that were there any particular words or lines of tech speak that you found challenging all i mean i don't even remember them it, it's like ptsd i don't want to go back there i don't there's so much like tech talk and i mean i spent uh, it was very hard for me to learn those lines because you have to like you, you have, they have to mean something to you. So I went out of my way to try and figure out what these things meant. Mm. And, you know, I retained them as long as I needed to them. And then my brain was very happy to press delete, you know? <laughs> so no, I don't remember any of them, but I definitely remember being tongue tied and uh, having to do multiple takes at times. <laughs> I, I have a feeling the blooper reel for this is gonna be, is gonna be interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, I bet, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> um, is this the sort of movie that makes you more aware of your digital footprint? Um, because ah. you, know, <laughs> you could do, you, your character especially could do some crazy stuff with tech and track mm -hmm. people and follow people. Uh, uh, has, has this changed your online behavior at all? It has. It really, really has. First of all, it freaked me out when I was doing it, you know, just to learn how much we put of ourselves that is exploitable by people who might, might want to do a thing like that. And people are very, very smart. I had a, uh, you know, a consultant that that showed me the dark web for the first time, a place I'd never been before. And, um, and, and all these apps and things that you can really it's so easy to, to reach into other people's lives, you know? And the more we live in a digital world, the more vulnerable we are um, to invisible, um, invisible threats. Mm. Uh, so yes, I mean, I'm now a person who changes my passwords 
very often. <laughs> I do what I can, you know, but, you know, I also just pray because there's only so much I know and, and, and that I understand uh, to protect myself. So, you know, there are people out there that are available to, to hire and help you get more digitally secure. Has there been any other movie you've done that's made you change your behavior in real life in any way? Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, when I did Queen of Clats Way, it was the first time I played a mother on screen and um, it made me want to become a mother. Mm. I went into it being very frightened and thinking to myself, oh yeah, maybe, maybe I'll... Yeah, maybe. But after that film, I was like, oh, no, I have to become a mother. <laughs> so, I mean, it hasn't changed my behavior because I'm still not a mother, but it definitely has changed my mindset. I think every film that I do, um, as much as I'm investigating another person, uh, I'm reaching into myself in order to lend myself to that person. So I'm always learning new things about myself, I think, as a result of my job. I've heard you say that one of the reasons you take on a role like this is to inspire the younger generation. And I feel like you've been doing that with a lot of your roles and a lot of the projects you take on. I'm especially looking forward to Solway, which is the Netflix adaptation of your best-selling children's book. What made you decide that an animated musical was the best way to bring that story to script? Well, because I think dark skin is sorely missing from animated film. Mm. That was my reason. Because, you know, I grew up watching all these animated movies and singing the songs and stuff like that. And I just didn't have anybody that looked like me in those movies. So for that selfish reason, I <laughs> want Sudue to occupy that space. But I also think I personally am not a fan of musicals, believe it or not. Like, but um, I do have a soft spot for the musicals that I grew up watching. And music has got such a good way of um, retaining messages, you know, and that you can, that you, that you refer to subconsciously when you're singing a song. It's like a mantra, you know. And so I want that for kids, you know, for the songs, for the music in, in, in Sulwe to resonate. Because you carry that with you after you've seen a film. You, the music carries on into your life and it's easier to refer to than sitting down to watch the entire film again. Mm. Speaking of inspiring people, uh, there's a film that you did called Black Panther that did oh, that yeah. <laughs> for me that and one. many others that look like us. Obviously, I completely love the film. Um, I know you've been shooting Black Panther too and I know that the experience for a number of reasons um, is much, much different to how it was in the first experience. What has that been like? I mean, what, what was day one like on that film? You know, I actually wasn't a part of day one of the film. Oh. Day one for me <laughs> um, was, uh, it was a, a lot of different emotions. Yeah, it was a lot of different emotions. It's kind of, um, it's a movie that uh, I've never gone to, to, I've never approached a movie with grief. Mm. so um it was it's it's it was hard but also there was something beautiful about coming back to a world that we loved so much with chadwick and honoring him uh 
yeah, but it was it's it was difficult. Yeah. 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 No, I I've been saying to people, I feel like it, there's a balance. The challenge with this film is going to be a balance between honoring Chadwick and telling a good story. Um, exactly. And while sort of I don't envy Ryan Coogler, I am so happy that he's the guy doing it. I wouldn't trust anyone else but him with this. Um, I just want to ask about Nakia as well. It's interesting. In the years since Black Panther, we've seen uh, Black, we've seen T'Challa, we've seen Shuri uh, in either What If or in the film like I'm going to War or an Endgame. We haven't really seen Nakia uh, since Black Panther. What are you most excited about just getting to play that character again and uh, taking her to uh, to new levels? Yeah, I mean, I I kind of love that we haven't seen much of Nakia mm. because I feel. Um, there is a lot of growth that hopefully audiences get to, get to experience when they see her again. And they get to miss her, which is nice. <laughs> hopefully they'll be excited to see her again. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, yeah, to step back into it and to see, I mean, Ryan, his imagination is bottomless, it seems. Uh, and so, yeah, to step back into the world that he has created uh and to see where she has got to is interesting yeah <laughs> i will not say anymore damn i was so close I was you so were close, close but not close enough <laughs> that's all good well i gotta let you go in a second but this interview has been so epic that i feel like it needs its own black party so oh? what are the essential things that lupita nyongo needs in an ideal that party i must know Oh, at a, at, a, at a rap party, you have to have champagne. Okay. Uh, flat shoes, slippers that you can slide into. Okay. <laughs> you have to have Afrobeat. Um, and um, people who are interested in dancing. You know, none of that st standing at the side, watching other people do it. You got to be... <laughs> get on the floor <laughs> awesome okay i'm off to have a word with the caterer the dj and the people uh to make sure that they know what they need to do when it yes. comes time to this right party <laughs> mm -hmm. awesome thank you lupita it's been a pleasure thank you so much for your time all right take care okay so that was lupita nyongo and should we talk about the 355 first? Let's, let's, let's talk about it, because now it's time to talk about the movies that are going to be out in the multiplex and in the sofaplex this week. First week of the year. A uh, couple of films. Let's talk about the 355. Simon Kimberg re-teaming with Jessica Chastain after the triumph of X-Men Dark Phoenix. <laughs> wow. <Hell> smells. <laughs> Sorry. You all right? You okay? Oh, yeah. shaking inexplicably. It's just, it's just I've got an allergic reaction to, uh, to, to that film. Yes, yeah, so this is the story of uh, Jessica Chastain plays a CIA agent called Mace, short for Mason, um, and she's partnered with Sebastian Stan as Nick, um, and they go to short Paris. Short for Nicholas. I assume. <laughs> um, Bobinus, I like to think. Uh, they're sent to Paris uh, to pick up this doomsday device that has come into the possession of a person who wants to hand it over to them for a mere three million quid. This device can hack into anything. You can take control of any computer system in the world, you can, you know, crash planes, you can launch nuclear weapons, you can do whatever you want if Fire you have this. the nuclear weapon! Exactly. You could do that if you had this device. So she and Nick go to pick it up. The operation goes sideways, not least because of the involvement of a rival German agent, Marie, played by Diane Kruger. Um, 
both of them are now on the out with their respective bosses and they have to team up along with a computer expert, Khadija, played by Lupita Nyong'o, and a Colombian psychologist played by Penelope Cruz, Graziella, uh, essentially to save the world. Um, they have to figure out where this device has gone. There's a lot of globe trotting, a lot of very nice dresses, um, a lot of people wearing suits and uh, and kicking ass and taking names. Not even really taking names very much, just mostly kicking ass. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Uh, so what did you make of it? So there's a lot to like. I, I quite enjoy the action. I'm not saying it's going to change the world. It's not quite, you know, Jason Bourne all over again, but it's competent. It's well done. It's well directed. You can tell who's chasing who and why, generally speaking. I was interested. I thought the characters were good, uh, with the exception of the men in the film. Now, I don't want to get into too much of this, but I will say that for years, women have been complaining about the poor quality of female roles in male-led action films. I feel like now that we're making female-led action films, we should not replicate the same injustice and we should maybe not make the men ah, fuck terrible we've had, we've had our shot. No, but like it genuinely, <laughs> I, I feel like I equal, this isn't equality. So I would personally have liked to have seen a little bit more attention paid to the, 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 the spread of male roles in the film. Um, I also think it, there, there are some awkward bits of storytelling, some... Very, very familiar tropes. How many computer doomsday devices like this have we seen and heard about in movie history? Like a million, approximately. Uh, you know, so there's things, things that could have been sharper and more original to go with the slightly sharper and more original casting. Um, it has a bit of a case of sequelitis in the last oh act. Oh my gosh, does it? Um, <laughs> Fan Bingbing's character is sort of just introduced way too late, doesn't really get a chance to kind of bond with the others. It doesn't feel like there's a real coherent team there in a way that I would like, because I think she's quite cool when she does turn up. So I just feel like there's a lot of things that I just wanted to be sharper and clearer and and more original in the same way that I thought the casting and the characters were, because I really, really like these characters. Yeah, I like uh, the characters. I like that they, especially with Penelope Cruz's character, actually stuck to um, what she's good at in terms of she is a psychologist mm -hmm. she's not um a super secret spy who can sort of do all this hand-to-hand -hand, taking you know people down that type of thing and they really they really lean into that in a lesser film and i've seen lesser films than this um they would just have her be kick-ass just because the you know yeah. regardless of whether the plot or the character demanded it i like they stayed with that um i wish that lupita nyong'o was actually playing a spy from her respective country, because I feel like the other actors who are cast in this for the most part are. And I feel like they were sort of emphasizing that as a good thing. It is a good thing, representation um, in that regard. And I just, I I'm find it strange that that didn't uh, transfer to Lupita Nyong'o's character. I think that would have been really cool. Uh, she's from, she's, she's Kenyan, Mexican. Um, if they did something within that realm, I think that would have been really cool. So I was a bit disappointed by that. And uh, this, the sweet, the sequel baiting you were mentioning, I'm not going to get too into that specific scene because it happens late on. But I like it when you have these sort of you know four or five kick-ass women coming together, and that's all you need to sort of say about what is happening, rather than actually mm -hmm. verbalizing it. And they verbalize it in a very explicit, unnecessary way. Um, later on in the film, which I just made me roll my eyes. Um, so that was unfortunate as well. But for the most part, I enjoyed it. It was fine. Yeah, it's a much more serious film than I thought it was going to be. I was on set of this for a brief period and uh, it looked very glossy and it is very glossy, but I thought it might be more in the Mr. and Mrs. Smith category than the 
born category and it's kind of more in the born category it takes itself quite seriously and there's scenes of unexpected intensity i would say some of the fight scenes are fairly brutal but this is one of those movies where it could easily have just been an r Mm. i almost wish it had been an r because then it could have maybe really gone there with some of the stuff the body count in this thing is huge and people are being shot at point blank range with machine guns and they just go and fall down dead. Uh, so you kind of almost need the visceral impact. And if this has been a sort of John Wicky type thing where you actually saw the, uh, you know, and I'm not necessarily agitating for this. I'm not a gore. I am a gore hound. Uh, I'm not a psychopath. I am a psychopath. But, you know, I don't, you know, I think this might have been, this might have had more impact if you could have seen the blood and felt the impact of things in that way. It just, it, 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 it might, it, but I think, I think they're going for more of a Mission Impossible style, aren't they? They're, they're going for that kind of mass market, um, mainstream kind of thing. But with none of the big stunts. Yeah. And so the set pieces are much more borny in that way. And I think that's, that's interesting because it's kind of playing in the same playground as Bond and as Bourne. I think if they go down the route and never get a 366 or a 377, um, that's not how it works. That's Uh, that's not how it works. Then, you know, they might up the ante a little bit and have some major set pieces. Uh, Who knows? But uh, yeah, I I enjoyed it. I had had a decent time with it. Uh, But it's not as fun as I was expecting it to be. Three stars out of a possible 55 for this one. Isn't that right, Helen? Uh, <laughs> that is incorrect. No, just three out, out of, of just three out of five. Three out of five. Classic three out of five. Okay. Uh, just three out of five land for the 355. All right. Next up is another film that's out this week, which is Stephen Graham in the one-shot movie Boiling Point. Jimbo, this is about a chef, a master chef, if you will. So yes. it should be right up my street. I should qualify this by saying that my idea of fine dining is going to one of the posher branches of Nando's. So I'm perhaps, you know, not this film's target audience. But I will say, I will say, I appreciate the craft of it, even if there wasn't quite as much peri-peri sauce as I would have liked. Um, You're a monster. So, <laughs> this is, this is uh, director Philip uh, Barantini's film. And this is kind of a, an elaboration, if you will, of his short film that he did in 2019, which also had Steve, Stephen Graham in it. And it takes place at a restaurant. It actually takes place at a real restaurant, Jones & Sons, which is in Dulston in East London uh, but it's like the busiest night of the year uh, Stephen Graham is the head chef and he is a chef on the edge the film begins with him on the phone having missed some kind of play recital or something for his son he's recently split up from his wife he's been living like in an office he's only just moved into a flat so his home life is an absolute wreck he gets in there's a hygiene inspector there who is uh, this is a bit of a, a save me reunion actually some of the cast that are in this film but the hygiene uh, inspector is taking away two of their hygiene stars are being downgraded from five to three. And that's just the beginning of the film. And then it kicks off a very, very busy night. You have his mentor, played by Jason Fleming, who has come to taste his food that he's only informed about at the last minute. And then he turns up with a, a notable food critic as well. So that adds on the pressure as well. He's got staff turning up late. He's got staff being sort of borderline incompetent. And tempers are fraying between the front of house staff, the back of house staff. And then you've got the customers. And as we all know, the public of pigs you've got a raging bell end at table 14 you've got someone with an allergy at like table seven and then you've got a bunch of influencers who turn up wanting steak even though it's not on the menu so the ingredients if you're pardon the pun are all there for a very stressful night and oh my god does it deliver because this film is so 
fucking stressful. Like, this is uncut gems level stressful. Like, it is proper heart palpitations. Oh my God, this film is going to kill me stressful. Um, <laughs> and it's all done in one incredible shot. And massive, massive hats off to cinematographer Matthew Lewis, who does this brilliant, agile camera that sort of weaves around people. It's always in the right place. Like, it feels meticulously uh, rehearsed. It really does. And what I think is genius about this is A, it doesn't use any cheats, unlike, shall we say, Birdman or 1917. There are no cheats. It is a legitimate single shot for an hour and a half but also like there are two kind of soft resets where the camera essentially fucks off to give everyone a chance to take a breather so at one point someone takes the bins out so we get three minutes while there's a conversation with a drug dealer in a back alley and at one point someone else goes and has a cry in the toilet and i think at those points i think they're genuinely there so that everyone can kind of like relax a little bit um and you need it as a viewer as well it's actually it's it's beautiful to be able to take your breath and actually calm down but uh stephen graham the scouse powerhouse i have to say pound for pound genuinely one of the best actors working he's fucking incredible in everything he does and he is brilliant in this because he is a chef on the edge he is angry and irrational without being caricatured he's not a gordon ramsay type character he's just a guy who's in the shit he's got substance abuse problems he's got personal problems his work is falling apart and it's a very stressful night and i tell you this like it's press week as it is now at empire can be quite stressful but i am very glad i don't work in a restaurant that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> um this was great vinette robertson who plays his sous chef props to her she was very very good in this as well um yeah i enjoyed this enormously well enjoyed is maybe not the right word i thought it was fantastic it nearly killed me yeah. um very 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 good indeed yeah, I, uh boiling I point co-sign everything you just said uh i've really <laughs> again enjoyed this not the right i I endured this enormously. Yeah, I, I wanted to it enormously. I wanted to reach to the screen and strangle a few people uh, in this film. Um, but yeah, we should give that to Matthew Lewis, the cinematographer. Uh, incredible mm. camera work, and I like this. F- Not the same Matthew Lewis who played Neville Longbottom. Not hot Neville. Harry Potter, right? No. Now, now here you're talking. Now, hot Neville. Mm-hmm. Hotter than Gene Kelly. Oh, oh, oh my God. Wow. No. I mean, no. I mean, just no, also. Good Lord. Well, I was going to say about <laughs> about Boy and Point, I, I like that this film had a lot of uh, ingredients, as James said, and when it came to sort of piling on the stress and the stress and the stress, I feel like it would have been very easy for this film to have just too much of that to the point where it's just mm. stress for stress's sake, but it doesn't ever go that far. Um, it's very well managed in that regard. Um, and yeah, mm. as somebody who has worked in those environments before, there's a lot of recognizable behavior, shall I say. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> And and I I really like as well um, that y- you're right. It's not all stress for stress to say. Like occasionally things get diffused and things get mm. sort of you know. And he does talk people down. And he isn't as James said a, a bad boss. There are moments of real like kindness and connection. And you can see him kind of mentoring the younger chefs and encouraging them. And you know. And so it, it actually makes it more upsetting in some ways when he's having an, an incredibly bad time because you're like, but he seems so nice. He's so good at his job. Um, <laughs> So so yeah, but it it's so so stressful. It's mm. so stress. It's it's a Christmas movie technically. It takes place just before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> but it is absolutely not one to watch when you're trying to cook your Christmas dinner. Do not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, what a week for Jason Fleming, who is also in the three five five. Yes. By the way, and yeah. there's still time for him to be digitally inserted into Licorice Pizza: The Electrical Life of Louis <laughs> Wayne, and indeed any other movie. In fact, if you're a movie that comes out in 2022 and you don't have Jason Fleming in it. 
I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I feel sorry for you. Anyway, we don't have the official star rating for this yet. Uh, apparently, it's being worked on, presumably in one sentence, <laughs> as as we, as we speak. But it sounds like everyone here is in the four star camp. So absolutely, yeah. four stars from the the pod team. There you go. Four stars then for boiling point. That we have officially bestowed four stars upon this movie. We'll probably give it one now. Uh, anyway, anyway, if you're a chef, the one thing you don't want to make is licorice pizza because that wouldn't taste nice. However, Paul Thomas Anderson's movie does taste nice in a metaphorical sense. We don't recommend that you eat it. That would be oh no. Anyway, oh so Helen. You kind of reviewed this. You were setting people up about this, weren't you, before mm. Christmas, because it and the electrical life of Louis Wayne were coming out in the break. So do that again. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, so this is about a 15-year-old, Gary, played by Cooper Hoffman, um, who meets a 25-year-old girl, Alana, played by Alana Heim, who, are, uh, who become kind of these unlikely friends. Um, he is smitten with her and... Um, is a is a real kind of man on the make. He always has a scheme. He always has a plan. He always has a business he's trying to launch or a, you know, something m- amazing he's trying to do. And she is kind of a bit rootless and a bit kind of directionless in her life, and is mm. sort of impressed by him despite his age. And they they end up hanging out and launching all these businesses and going on all these trips together and things like that. And that's kind of it for plot. <laughs> that really yeah. is kind yeah. of it. It's kind of a, a little sort of. It's just this kind of noodling, meandering movie that just follows these two really adorable characters, I have to say, really, really adorable characters through their adventures, if you can call them that. You know, you've got her taking a guy home for dinner. You've got her getting involved in Hollywood and hanging out with a much older Hollywood star played by Sean Penn. You've got him launching a waterbed business and delivering one to John Peters, who's played by Bradley Cooper, while Barbara Streisand is out of town. I mean, you've just got all these mad weird adventures which are based on a real life friend of of Paul Thomas Anderson who you know used to tell all these stories and he was kind of like are you kidding me like is this real and then he just kind of went with it and basically turned them into this script um so it's it's just very thoroughly very adorable for 99% of the running time there are a couple of scenes that i don't personally love and there's a thing that happens at the end that i don't personally like um, for one of the characters, but other than that, I was deeply, deeply charmed by it. Yeah, so was I. And I know what you mean. There's a scene with John Michael Higgins, which kind of explores the racism of the period, right? Uh, and it is, um, it's funny, but it's also incredibly offensive. And I feel like if you're going to be incredibly <sighs> offensive to a section of the audience. There should be a point to it. And there isn't a point. There isn't a point to most of this film. So there isn't a point to that film, that bit either. And so it's it's, just, it's rendered without judgment, I think, is is what is what what happens in that moment. And it, it's weird. But that's because, a luxury that, you know, that white people have. And I don't think that's yeah. necessarily the, the case for a big section of the audience who are sitting there going, why is everyone laughing at this? And does that mean they're laughing at me? Do you know what I mean? That's it was yeah. No, I, I get it. It, it. it was very strange watching that 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 bit, those bits, because it, it's remarkably uncomfortable to the point where you're going, well, why is this even in the movie? Mm. I, I kind of get what you're doing. You know, you're 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 depicting the the era and all its foibles and these people and you know, and and depiction is an endorsement, and I get all that. Yep. But it just felt weird to me, though you don't need to have that in the movie at all no. for the movie to work, uh, for, that, for that character to, to work. And 
Yeah, there are, there are a couple of things that 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 didn't entirely work for me, but at the same time. And there's going to be conversations, obviously, about the fact that there's an age gap between the the the, the lead couple, um, you know. And again, that's something we can't really talk about without getting into specifics about about, about story. I'm not going to say plot, but specifics about story. Um, but you know, for the most part, it is a, a an affectionate delve back into the 1970s, uh, an era that obviously Paul Thomas Anderson knows well. It it shifts tone remarkably well. Uh, he is obviously a phenomenally talented director. And it, there are moments in this, despite the fact that it is quite a frothy comedy drama mm. for the most part, there are moments in this where I was like, oh, this is actually really tense. Mm. And it reminds and heartbreaking you. Heartbreaking sometimes. Heartbreaking, but there's a shift in tone. There's, a, the, um, there's one sequence uh, involving a truck that is. For me, and I don't know about anyone else, maybe this is just how I read it, but it was one of the most suspenseful scenes I've seen in a long, long time. Yep. And it comes out of nowhere. It reminds you <laughs> a little bit of the Alfred Molina sequence in Boogie Nights. Not the same way, but the, the way that that suddenly just erupted from a movie that was very, very fun and over the top. And then suddenly there's this incredibly tense sequence. And it's a little bit like that in Licorice Pizza as well. But listen, there's great performances in this thing. It's a shaggy dog story. It's Altman-esque. It's a love letter to Altman in, in many ways. Uh, and I, there's a great deal for me to like about it, but I, I don't quite see a lot of critics have fallen over themselves to praise this and given it five stars and film of the year and all this sort of stuff. I'm not quite there. I'm not quite there, but you know, it's uh, it, it's 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 well worth your time, I would say. But be prepared; there will be some things that will make you uncomfortable, viewed through the modern prism. And what Anderson, I think, is trying to do is trying to remove that from himself as a filmmaker, and be relatively non-judgmental. It's up to you whether that works or not. Anyway, you know all those five-star reviews I was talking about—the fact that I don't quite me- mesh with—we're one of them. So we can just five stars. <laughs> And listen, the second viewing may absolutely make me fall in love with it. It's it's Cooper Hoffman, who's the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, is great. Alana Haim so is like a natural, and her entire family's in this as well. So, and you get those little cameos that pop from Sean Penn, and particularly um, Bradley Cooper. When I when I saw this, I'd heard that Bradley Cooper might be in the running to be nominated for Best Supporting Actor, and it would be it would be one of the smallest, shortest parts to ever be nominated and maybe even win. And I was like, nah, no, nah, I don't really see it. But he's so mesmer- he's, he's so really mesmerizing. <laughs> he's so mesmerizing in his brief screen time as John Peters, who, of course, produced Tim Burton's Batman. And we're right back to Batman again. So five stars in for Licorice Pizza and five stars for Tim Burton's Batman. Uh, and lastly, we're going to finish off with The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, which uh, stars Benedict Cumberbatch, who is not Batman, but has played Doctor Strange, who probably fought a Batman uh, or certainly a man-bat. Amon. Yes. So this is the true story of British, British illustrator Louis Wayne, played by Mr. Cumberbatch, and his gift for painting cats is what helped inspire the world to adopt felines as pets. Uh, so that's, you know, a very interesting <laughs> thing to sort of latch onto and tell the uh, biopic story of this man. And, you know, he is a genius um, in many respects. Um, and, you know, we've seen Benedict Cumberbatch play those types of characters before, uh, Alan Turing, Thomas Edison. Um, He's very, very good at sort of humanizing these icons. And he does that here again. He is it's a spectacular performance. I think his performance in Power of the Dog 
I'd say that's a little bit better because it feels very divorced from anything that he's done before. Whereas this, there's that whole genius element that he has played before, but he finds the heart of this character so well all the way through, especially as you're tracing him through like 30 years. And he sort of, you know, finds that through line throughout that entire timeline, which is really, really great. Um, I liked the first half of this film more than the second half. I think the first half is really telling the story of the courtship between Louis Wayne and uh, Emily Richardson, who is a governess who moves into the Wayne household uh, to help uh, tutor uh, uh, his siblings, who he is in charge of because he is the man of the family backward thinking back then you know what i mean um <laughs> um and that relationship that courtship is so sweetly done claire foy and cumberbatch have such great chemistry and um the second part of the film is very rushed and sketchy because you've got 25 years of story to get through um and i found that to be less effective than the first half but the thing that sort of really keeps it the, the thing that really ties it together is coming back to his performance um, all the way through, which is just spectacular. So just on that level alone, I'd mm -hmm. recommend this film. Yeah, it's it's a lot more cutesy uh, than The Power of the Dog, obviously. Yeah. I, I know he's dealing with cats and dogs, but this is a very, <laughs> very different feeling uh, feeling film. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of cutesy drawings kind of springing up around him, the, the sort of the way he perceives the world through all these colours yeah. and this kind of, you know... Old Way is, is gorgeously portrayed by the director, Will Sharp. Um, and you're right, I think the first half of the film feels like it has much more of a structure because it's just it's a romance and it's it's a very sweet and slightly unconventional romance, but it is a romance. Mm -hmm. And the second half, you're not quite sure where it's going, you're not quite sure what, what it's doing. So it's a little bit, um, it's just, it feels a little bit woollier and less, and less um, you know, yeah. straightforward. But I guess that kind of fits with the character, so it kind of does work. I didn't buy the whole this is why cats became pets thing. Like cats have been domesticated for literally millennia. So I, I get the idea that oh they were just pest controlled before and then they became like sitting on your lap pets. I think that's bullshit. <laughs> anyway. I think this film's written by cats. I think this is cat <laughs> it might propaganda. Have been written by cats. Um but but at the same time, like it is it is very charming and it is a, a you know, a person and a character I didn't know anything about and, and now felt Feel like I've got a little bit more of a handle on, so I enjoyed that. And as you say, Cumberbatch is very yeah. good. I, one final thing to say because I'm I gotta be me. Uh, this is the best use of a theremin in, in the score since uh, <laughs> since Natalie Holt's Loki. Um, I've really liked Ooh. Arthur Sharp's score in this. Very nice to listen to. So six months. <laughs> There's probably been other theremins and other scores that I may be able <laughs> okay, to okay. maybe I haven't, but I, that, that I've heard, that I've listened to, and I've listened to a few things. So that's what I'm saying. Fair, fair. <laughs> Here I'm in, there I'm in, everywhere I'm in, min. Uh, we gave this one three stars. Amon gave this one three stars. In fact, three stars for The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, which is out in cinemas right now, as is indeed Licorice Pizza. One last thing before we wrap this bad boy up, uh, you're going to hear an excerpt now from an interview I did with Bert and Bertie, who are the director team behind episodes three, four and five of Hawkeye. Uh, the main interview, all the interview is available behind the spoiler special uh, paywall. So if you want to listen to that, it is a cracking interview. Again, nothing to do with me, entirely, uh, entirely to do with them. Uh, so that's available right now for you to listen to. Uh, but here is about 15 minutes of that. We talked for about 30 minutes about Hawkeye. And it's not a spoiler special per se, but we certainly go into detail about a great many things. So here we go. Loved Hawkeye. Fantastic show. And episodes three, four and five were great. Here are Bert and Bertie talking about them. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy. 
we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the directors of episodes three, four, and five of Hawkeye, Bert and Bertie. Welcome both. How are you? Great. Thanks for having us. Excellent. Excellent. That was Bert. And the next voice you're going to hear is Bertie. Hello, Bertie. <laughs> <laughs> just for just for people listening along at home <laughs> we'll do, we'll do impressions of each other just to confuse you oh that's great yeah please please do that'd be amazing uh, did you consider Bertie and Bertie at any point or Bert and Bert just or just for to up the confusion ante well we yeah how would you tell us apart <laughs> if it was the same name although people do call us whatever they want to call us to be honest Oh, I'm not going to do that. I couldn't possibly do that. No, I'll stick with Burton. And, and if if you make it into the inner circle, you get a Bert name. So. Oh, really? Are, are there like mm. Bert points? Is there like a reward scheme? There's, a, there's, a, there's an initiation process that you have to go through, which is yeah. as secret as any Marvel process you have to go through. Oh, yeah. I've been through many Marvel processes uh, over the years. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. But uh, but anyway, congratulations, guys, on your, on your run. Uh, you must be delighted with the reaction to, to these episodes. Oh, it's been... Oh, we're going we're gonna to keep doing this. But um, no, do you know what? It, it, it's been incredible because you, you make it for the fans. You make these films for the fans because they are loyal and they know a good story when they when they see one. And, and it seems like Hawkeye has really kind of satisfied an itch that people have been wanting to scratch for many, many years to find out more about Clint Barton. And then, of course, introducing the incredible Kate Bishop. Um, we were incredibly lucky. And it seems like it, the fans are loving the ride that we've taken them on. So it's been a it's been a great journey. And just to, to kind of like every single episode, we've done TV multiple times, but mm. never have we had this intense a reaction for each episode that comes out and the guessing game around it and the hype and then the kind of, oh my gosh, that was amazing that everyone does after the episode airs. So it's been so fun to be a part of that world. It really has. So you have been monitoring people's reactions because, you know, in that case, I'm sure you know that people have been losing their shit about episode five, particularly uh, the way you end uh, the last few weeks. It's been it's been building. There's been a sense that perhaps we might see a certain fat man, uh, as he's known in the show. Uh, up here uh, but there he is right at the end Vincent D'Onofrio and the way you guys revealed him is really interesting so as a as a blurry screen capture on a mobile phone was that was that always set in stone were there other ways of introducing Kingpin I mean, there's so many ways you could introduce Kingpin. Oh, my God. I mean, what, what Marvel love to do is tease it out. So now, of course, the question is like, oh, my God, what's going to happen in episode six, which you'll have to tune in next week to find out. Um, <laughs> but, no, it, it's also sometimes it, it, it's fun to tease something in such a kind of small way. Um, yes, there were other, I mean, there's been a million incarnations in, in the story of this series, but, um, but, you know, sometimes you don't have to do it with the Big Bang. This is true. This is true. So how did you guys uh, hit upon that, that idea? Was that something that was, that was in the script? Was that something that you, you came up with as you were working on the show? It was, it was in the script. It was scripted. Um, it was slightly different. And then we kind of revisited it and added an extra element. So without saying too much, it's, it's a constantly moving process, isn't it? And the Marvel machine is always about, I say a machine, it's very organic, really. It's always about plussing. How can this be a little better or a little bit um, more mysterious 
Um, so the layers were quite interesting to get to where we got to. Mm. And uh, there's there's lots of moments I want to talk to you about specifically, but but in an overall sense, first of all, this is the first MCU Disney Plus show that has had different directors. So the previous ones have all been overseen by one one director. Uh, here you're taking over from Reese Thomas, who did the first two episodes, and he's coming back for the final episode next week. So I'm just I'm curious about that relationship. Is there is this something that you do? The three of you talk it over, work on work on the apps together to get a a, a a visual signature because one thing i noticed is whenever you guys came on board the visual style of the show changed for me the the, the card chase felt very very specific uh there are, there are certain transitions that felt very specific to you as well um so how much leeway do you have to do your own thing whilst also in a way working within the the confines of what reese sets up very long question. I think we're out of time, but if you do have time to answer it, <laughs> please go for it. Take a stab. We're going to take a stab. Um, well, our working relationship with Reese was brilliant from day one. He's super collaborative. We're super collaborative, and we all wanted to make this the best it could be. So we we would exchange ideas. He came on a little earlier than us. He gave us some reference movies he was thinking about. We all shared thoughts. But Marvel are great in that they encourage directors to be themselves. So there was never a box that we felt we needed to fit into. We were just telling the, the elements of the story in the way that we wanted to tell the elements of the story for three, four, and five. And Reese has got his style and he was encouraged to, to, to play within his style. And then the, the arching story is what knits it, like so many TV shows, knits it all together. So I think there's this kind of freshness but there's this um solidarity between us within our styles i think that 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 brings it all together is this kind of grounded narrative and and if you if you are serving the story and you're serving the characters there is a way that this show was always going to look um and then we just put a little bit of british magnet kind of magic into that Very true. Very, very true indeed. Uh, uh, one of those, uh, one of those standout sequences, as I mentioned, is that extended car chase, which is one of my favourite MCU action beats, and uh, it is just tremendous. I think it's not a three sixty; it's a more, it's more akin to a seven twenty, isn't it? Yeah, I think you you have you have the camera revolving. Is it even a ten eighty? I, I I lost count. As I got dizzy. It's beyond, yeah. It's like two, three sixties and a half and a, and a quarter, maybe. Okay. I'm not very good at that. <laughs> but it's it's definitely over two rotations. So that's what is that? That's a that's a nine hundred. Let's say nine hundred. In the ballpark it's of nine hundred series series nine hundred. <laughs> <laughs> but did that something? Was that was was that something that stood out to you guys? And how difficult was it to, yeah. was it to do that visually? Because I imagine you have all sorts of different elements there. One that one of the great things about it is that it feels like you were actually doing a lot of it. You know that it actually was. Haley leaning out of a car. I don't know how yeah. much of it was actually you guys going down a street and into a Christmas tree and all that sort of stuff. But uh, and there are green screen elements as well that you have to integrate as well. So how how tricky was it to bring it all together? I mean, everything everything is in there. I'll start with the, the I think the first question. The, you know, once again, serving our narrative and serving what our characters are doing. Wanted wanted to put the audience inside of the car yet still get a sense of the action around the car. And so that's where the, 
the rotating kind of camera came from. And, you know, we had seen something similar in a, in a beautiful film called Waves, where there was this really energetic camera rotating inside a car. So we kind of took that to the, to the next level where it was a bit slower and a bit more, um, you know, concentrated. But the reason we wanted to do that was to put the audience in the car with your lead characters. So, you know, Clint Barton, Kate Bishop, and that great kind of energy they've got when they, when they talk and they, you know, the comedy and the jabs and the, you know, the give and the take. And we, we wanted to stay with them. And then of course, when Kate, goes out of the window, it means we have to go out of the window. If we if we're staying with kind of staying true to our characters, which then brought this other element into this incredible scene. And, and everything else beyond that is kind of taking inspiration from the old style car chases, you know, back in the in the 70s. I think we actually went around a corner at one point and the hubcap did actually come off of the 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 Chrysler New Yorker, which was amazing. We were like, oh, that's why they're in the movies, because the hubcaps come off. They actually really do come off. Um, so I think it's in there. But um, but yes, there are so many elements that went into this car chase. There's that first bit with the rotating camera, which was done for real. Haley did go out the window. Uh, we were on the streets, you know, filming it. Um, you know, and a large portion of the car chase were filmed on actual streets, uh, which was important for us just to kind of get that sense of it's really tactile and lo-fi and and then into that while serving, you know, the, the fans desire for like action car chase and trick arrows and all of those things. It's like, okay, but how can we bring Christmas into this? And so that's like, ah, Christmas tree lot. So then we built that into it and, and the comedy that we could bring out of that, like the, the Santa Claus inflatable coming up right at the end. It's like, sorry, Santa, yeah. you know, just having fun with it. And, and I think it's, it's really paid off because into that there are bigger effects that happen, for instance, when you go on the bridge and Pim Arrow and also those things that you really do expect from, you know, your, your Marvel stories. But, but, you know, kind of doing it for story reasons. So you, you've kept it lo-fi, you've kept it with your lead characters, and then you take it onto a bridge and fire a huge massive arrow into the sky with the film technology that harks back to the films. And, you know, it, it, it's all in there. And what you ended up with was this funny, grounded, fun, and then kind of incredibly threatening and dangerous car chase sequence at the end when they jump off the Manhattan Bridge. Indeed. So to answer your question, yes. No, oh, beautifully answered as well, uh, my essay. But uh there's there's so much to dig into in that as well. I mean, you you talk about the 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 well, it's not just the arrows, but it's it's little things, like the character moments, the fact that Clint and and Kate are kind of disconnected at that moment, and their their banter is just they're 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 both a little bit off each other's rhythms at that point, and they get more in sync as as things go along. I really love that the timing of the moment on the subway, for example, with you know where they're both they're both thinking the same things but not quite saying it in the same way. I loved all that stuff, but uh, uh, get, getting the character moments right must have been as important to you guys as well because there's the the wonderfully affecting heartrending moment when Clint's on the phone to Nate and he can't hear what his son is saying. And there's that wonderful moment of bonding for for Kate, but we're also seeing what Clint is giving up. I, I, honestly, Renner broke my heart in that moment. What what was it like for you guys directing directing that sequence? It was it was one of the first. It was one of the very early um, scenes we filmed, and it was the one in which 
you know, it's, it was going to be hard for Haley to play it. Like, who, how well does she know this guy? Um, and, and also, how was he going to play it? We didn't quite know. And then they just found their rhythm in it so beautifully. And, um, and, and I think that Jeremy going there and really kind of imagining that his own daughter were on the other end of the phone um, and, and kind of like really leaning into his experience as a, a father of a young child. And then Haley just, she's got lots of nieces and nephews. And, um, and I think there was just like this incredible family bonding moment between them that we, we'd seen the bickering up until then, but we hadn't seen this kind of like intense bonding between them. So that was, it was a revelation for all of us watching as well. And we did it, you know, a number of times and they found beautiful, fresh moving stuff inside each, each take. It's it's fascinating as well because you have this growing bond between Clint and Kate throughout your episodes, but episode five, of course, splits them up an awful lot. And Clint is going on a darker journey, a much darker journey than than Kate is. Uh, and I was also really struck by the speech that he gives to, you know, the absent, the spirit of Natasha in outside the the, the plaque in New York. Uh, can you talk about, about that and, and directing that? Well, I mean, it's kind of the moment that you really find out, like we know that Clint's trying to get home to his family, but in that moment you realise that this, this, this kind of, this weight that he's carrying around his neck is, you gave me this life and I don't want to let you down. And that's as a, you know, as a friend, as a, you know, as a, as a partner. And he, he realizes gift that she gave him. He realizes the sacrifice that she made for him. And you realize that he doesn't want to let her down. And that's kind of what's, what's driving him. But, but he has to do this one thing. And, and so in that moment, you realize kind of, kind of why Clint is going on this journey. And, you know, you know Jeremy has, has been in this character for, for many, many, many years. And so he brought... He brought everything that he, you know, knew about Clint Barton to that moment. Mm. Um, you know, we we just he gave us that gift of that performance, um, and from that moment on, you realize what he might have to give up, and you don't know what he's going to do. That's also the other thing about that moment. You don't quite know what he's going to do, and then, as we found in episode five, mm. he, you know, he doesn't go full Ronan, which shows you where how far his characters come. All right, so that was Burton Birdie. And if you want to hear all our Hawkeye spoiler specials, then they are available to spoiler special subscribers. And uh, let me tell you, folks, the Empire Podcast Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra gets pretty unhinged as that show goes <laughs> along. But you can always skip the first minute or so of the podcast and, and get to the normal stuff. I say normal. Uh, anyway, speaking of normal, that is a pretty normal podcast for us. Our first one of the year. It is four and a half hours long. Now we have to wade through it. Well done, me. Well done, everybody. Why couldn't we just shut the fuck up, honestly? Anyway, that is it for our first podcast of the year. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. Where we'll be joined by... <laughs> I have no idea. Because Cyrano, which was out next week and had both our guests in the shape of Peter Dinklage and Joe Wright, has now moved back a couple of months. So I don't know who our guest is going to be next week. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's just uh, a great time. <laughs> it's just a wonderful uh, time. Super good. 
Super, super great. Super good. Uh, our guest next week will be Amon Warman, <laughs> who will be talking about theremins. Uh, there you go. Uh, Can't wait anyway, to chat to you, Chris. Find out. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. What attracted you to the project? Uh, anyway, until we meet again, until then, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye from my three colleagues of such lethal cunning, Riverside names, catastrophe averted Amon Warman. Peace. Do you get it? You don't get it, do you? No. no. Catastrophe. Cats. Oh, see, that's just no. See, what you need to do is you need to make well, the pun I, more. I trusted you to yeah. get it. Visible. No, no, you <laughs> never trust that. Why would you do that? <laughs> Dear Lord. Dear Lord. It is goodbye from Pineapple Pizza, <laughs> Helen O'Hara. I was trying to think what would horrify people as much as licorice. Um, I actually like pineapple and pizza. There, I'm yeah, going to be cancelled now if the Chris Evans yeah. thing didn't move for me. Um, would you, but would anyway, you have licorice yeah. and pineapple on Absol- pizza? I, licorice can I, I go, would. F- go into the, just burn up in the sun. Just launch the licorice into the I sun. I agree. Uh, I don't like to swear in the podcast, but Bertie Bassett is a bangly bang. And then I hope he dies. <laughs> It's a, it's a controversial viewpoint, but it's, it's, it's a firm no oh, for God. me on pineapple on pizza. I love pi- I oh, love pizza. So good. I love pineapple. Don't cross the streams. Oh, I might just don't cross the I streams. I might go get one now. Oh, four. Well, you know what, Amon? It takes all sorts. <laughs> oh no! Jesus Christ! <laughs> and it is goodbye from Chef's Crisis, James Dyer. Is it like Goodbye. a chef kiss pun? Yes, thank you, Helen. It was. It was a very last minute pun on that. I know it's not very good, but as I said, you know, I'm more of a Nando's guy. So what are you going to do? We, we can confirm this is true because we've tried to take James to like growing up person restaurants and it's, yeah. you know, been disastrous. In fairness, the last time we took James to a grown up uh, restaurant, we all got the shits. So it's probably. I didn't, really? Yeah. Uh, you, you, you weren't there. It was, it's awkward. Ah. It's awkward. But, uh, oh, wow. but, Thanks, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Wow. James, what's your go to Nando's order? Oh, Nando's, I'm, see, I'm, I'm normally a very big fan of the chicken pitta or the double chicken pitta. Or they do now, do you know where you put halloumi in there as well to go like hardcore? Uh, yes, I, I like that as well. Medium, you medium. know, with, with peri peri oh, chips and, and macho peas. Yeah, I see. I like to go medium, but then with the option of adding extra hot sauce to it. I think if you mm-hmm. put the hot on to begin yes. with, you're asking for trouble. I get extra hot all the time. Extra hot half chicken, garlic bread, rice. Beautiful. Wow. Well, okay. Nick has lemon and herb. Like, that's, you know, that's unacceptable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's goodbye from me, the three out of 55. I've I've already done it. I've already (laughs) thrown that gag away already. It's an absolute disgrace. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If indeed you are still listening, and I couldn't blame you if you weren't, quite frankly. I'm off the stare at pictures of the only Gene who matters, Gene Hackman. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. (laughs) 